Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So today we begin our sermon series, Why Church? Obviously, since you all made it out today, in spite of all the roads and stuff like that, you've got your reasons for being here. It's real clear for some of us why we come. And we might have an elevator speech. If we were stuck in the elevator with somebody, we might be able to, you know, here's the three reasons why I go to church. Here we go. And they'd be like, why are you talking to me? Why, how can I get out of here? Um, but hopefully your reasons will be so compelling that they're glad that you shared with them. But for the rest of us, maybe even most of us, the draw is there, but the reasons might not be so clear. We feel drawn, but we might have trouble articulating exactly why. Why to ourselves? Why to parents? Why to children, our friends? And that's what this sermon series is for, to help us understand why church for us so we can express why church to other people. So each week we'll look at a different theme. Each theme is loosely based on the book that you see, the cover of the book that you see on the screen by a fellow Scott Sundquist. In it, he kind of structures the reasons for worship based on the movements of a worship service, all the different pattern you go through each Sunday in worship, which is a helpful way to think about it because each week we go through that same pattern. These reasons for church are hooked in to the pattern we go through every week, making it easier to recall for us the reasons why. Easier because we repeat them over and over and over and over again. So, the first movement of worship is the simplest one. But it's also probably the most important. We come to worship. The first thing we do is we put our foot through the front door or the side door, or, you know, maybe sneak through the back door if it was left unlocked, maybe. We gather. If nobody came to worship, we wouldn't have worship. If we didn't come to this place, this community wouldn't exist. So maybe that's why it's kind of the foundation of everything else you do. You've got to be here to do it. But that's not the only reason why we come to worship. It's not the only reason why. Today's text is from the first letter of Peter, which you can find way, way back in the back of your New Testament. And this text was chosen not only because it begins with the word come, but because it answers why church with two of the most important reasons for coming to church in the first place. Two reasons. Now the first reason is this. Number one. In coming together, we're not simply coming to a building. We're not simply coming to some place. But in coming together, we're coming to some one. We're coming to some one. Come to him, the passage begins. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. Hear Peter this issues his community an invitation, and the invitation is to come to a person. To come to a person, and that person, of course, I mean, we're in a church, you may know that by now, but that person is Jesus Christ. 
In coming to worship, we come to a someone, not just some place with some people. So drawing on the image from the Old Testament Psalms in the book of Isaiah, Peter imagines Jesus as a living stone. He imagines Jesus as kind of, you know, like an organic uh, rock, you know, a piece of breathing, building material, but not as an attractive shelf ready piece, cleanly cut with good angles, you know, set on the, the right on the shelf with a whole bunch of other beautiful, perfect rocks at Home Depot. That's not the rock that he imagines. Instead, he imagines him has a stone in the quarry that's been tossed on the reject pile. Tossed on the reject pile. Too small, too rough, too weak. This is a metaphor, an image for Jesus' own life. You'll recall that Jesus himself was rejected by his own people. As a sinner, as a blasphemer, as a false prophet, as useless for his people's purposes. Completely inadequate for building the kind of powerful, self-sufficient life they imagined for themselves. So he was cast aside, tossed on the discard pile and crucified as history's reject. Tossed on the reject pile. So Jesus' people saw him as a dead weight for sure, says Peter, but not God. Not God. Human beings may have thrown him away, but Peter imagines God sort of, you know, picking through the pile of stones that were left for scrap in the dumpster. He imagines God sifting through all this debris, finding Jesus, dusting him off, and thinking to herself, this is a choice piece. I've got a project for this one. Jesus, who was rejected by the world, is instead, in Peter's words, chosen and precious in God's sight. He's quality, divine building material. Grade A, Raw goods for the Almighty. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to us, but it would have been for its original hearers. Peter wrote this letter to a community that was made up of people on the margins, on the edges of things. There were slaves, there were women, the poor, the disabled, people with little in terms of prestige, and even less in terms of power. And not only that, they were doubly rejected for their faith in Christ, which actually made them suspicious to both their Jewish neighbors and their pagan ones alike. They were weirdos. They knew what it was meant to be devalued by other people. They knew what it was like to be looked down upon, tossed aside. So when Peter would start talking about Jesus as a stone rejected by the world, they would have recognized their own lives in that very story. They would see themselves as rejected by the world, but nonetheless chosen and precious in God's sight. Chosen and precious, though rejected by the world. So this is actually the God that Peter is inviting people to. Come to this God, he says. Come to this God of rejects. 
The God who does not choose the wealthy, the powerful, the respectable, but the kind of God that looks at people and chooses someone like Jesus and chooses people like him to love and to bless and then to bless the world through. With all their faults, their brokenness, their heartaches and limitations, this text says, come to this God as you are. You are chosen and you are precious. And that is reason number one, why we come to church. We come to church for this same reason. I mean, for a while, attending church may have been seen as something good, upstanding citizens do, you know, along with Rotary, a sign of social respect. There's nothing wrong with Rotary. I'm just using it as an example. I love Rotary. They gave us money once. Better <laughs> oh, boy. It would have been seen as a sign of social respectability, as communities with influence, the ears of industry and government. At one time, the prime minister would call up the moderator of the United Church of Canada and say, I'm going to be passing some legislation. What will your people think? I cannot imagine. I will bet few of you know the name of the moderator of the United Church of Canada, and you're in a United Church, right? That is all changed. In most places in North America, that is all gone, right? It's a shame in some ways, of course, for sure, but it's also helped us to get back to essentials, and that's why we have this first reason here. We come to church not because we've done well enough to win our ticket inside, not to be seen by other people, not to win or earn holiness points, but we come to have an encounter with the God Peter's talking about, the source of all things, the mystery at the heart of the universe. And here's the beautiful thing about this mysterious God, where the world judges us by our accomplishments, by our performance, by our achievements. And by the way, we've fallen short of those. This God is different. The beautiful thing is that when we come to this God, this God welcomes us not as we should be, but as we are. God sees us, warts and all, sins and all, quirks and failures and all. In spite of it all, God says we are chosen and we are precious. We are chosen and precious and worth dying for. That's reason number one, okay? Reason number one. Why church? We come to encounter the holy, to experience the sacred. We come to meet God and not just any God. We come to meet the God we meet in Jesus, because this God knows the dusty gravel pit that is our lives, but looks at us and instead sees living stones, grade A holy building material. That's the first reason. <laughs> That's a, she wanted to hear the sermon, so she came up, she's like, I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be good today. I've I got to be there for it. Okay, that's the first reason. The second is this. We come to church to meet God, yes, to be seen and accepted, but that's not all. 
in coming to Christ at church, we also come to community, to Christ's community. First, Peter tells his people to come to Christ, the living stone, so they too can see themselves as living stones. But he knows that, you know, a stone by itself, however beautiful, ain't really much. You can't do much with one stone other than maybe polish it up, maybe throw it at somebody, make it into a doorstop, you know, pet rock, little googly eyes. So he imagines all these people, these rejects, all these living stones coming to God one after the other. But then he says this, like living stones, he says, like living stones, let yourself be built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So first he imagines God as this great stonemason, taking each living stone, you know, each person, boom, you know, taking a little mortar there, putting another one there and there, carefully placing them one on top of the other to build a spiritual house, to build a holy temple. But then he imagines all these people too, it's my, you know, it, it, he imagines all these people as priests inside the temple too. So the people are the rocks and the people are the priests in the temple too. And they're offering spiritual sacrifices. So here Peter kind of mixes metaphors a bit. They told me in seminary, you know, make sure your metaphors all make sense. But, you know, Peter offers us these two mixed metaphors, but they both point in the same direction. Because the temple in ancient Israel is where God is most fully present. God is encountered. And the priests inside, they're kind of like bridge people. They're mediators. They're conduits for God so other people can experience God's presence and other people can go to God. So in both cases, Peter's saying that God takes all these reject stones and starting with Jesus as the cornerstone, boom, right in the corner, builds a temple, a community. God builds a community where the living God takes up residence, where God can be seen, touched, and experienced among them, all together. Living stones being built into a spiritual house. Now, in North America, we often see spirituality as an individual venture or a private exercise, one between us and God or us and the universe or us and whatever. Could we get the next slide, please? A little Bible reading here. Oh, we're, we're way past far. Oh, you, oh no, oh no. Go back, go back. Go back to Guy Alone in Rowboat. There we go. There we go. That's way better. There we go. Now, in North America, we often see spirituality as an individual venture or a private exercise between an us and God and the universe or whatever word we want to use for that. A little Bible reading here. It's a mindfulness meditation there, a walk in the woods alone, or an inspiring TED Talk on our phone or tablet. And these aren't bad things. 
one after the other. But when they're the primary things, they say something about us as a culture. We are the most individualistic culture in human history. I mean, we're deeply lonely, right? We all know that. And we want community. But the truth is that community is kind of a hassle, right? You have to deal with all sorts of other people. You know, and they want things that you don't want, and you want things they don't want. And, you know, they've got ticks that drive you crazy, and you've got things that you have never got over. You know, you're just constantly fighting with your mother in every conversation you have, right? Community's tough. I mean, we want community, but we don't want the hassle of other people or institutions. I mean, now people are just dropping out of institutions left and right. But it doesn't change the longing that we have for connection and community. We want it, but it's a little too hard, right? It's hard, but here Peter says that the whole God thing is communal. We come to church to come to God, it's true. We come as we are, loved and precious as individual stones, sparkling and beautiful in our own right. But here it says that togetherness is where we truly meet God. You could say that Christianity isn't a solo sport, right? The benefits of the spiritual life can only be known in community, according to Peter, and according to our experience. Which, I mean, now we can go to the next one, the next image, the St. George's. There we go, beautiful. It makes perfect sense. Think about it. Together, we can bear each other's burdens. We deliver food to each other and pray for each other when we sick. I'm saying that in the present because that's what you do here. That's what people do in this community. We take care of each other's kids. We pool our collective wisdom we pool our resources and we start something like, I don't know, a soup kitchen or a food pantry. We put up with each other's quirks and foibles, knowing that we're each precious, contrary to all of our experiences. We laugh and we cry together. Alone, stones are just stones. But together, Peter says, we are a dwelling place for the living God. We are a temple. Together, we are a temple for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And God's building us up that way. So that's the second reason. Why church? We come to be more than we are as individuals, to be built up, a community where God is made manifest, where we're made more together than we would be apart, sitting alone in a rowboat, you know. All by the pull, by the grace of the creator of the universe. It's in community where the total encounter with God happens. It's not perfect, but community church is how God chooses to work most powerfully 
in human life and is even at work as we speak. Christ and community. That's what Peter is getting at. We come to church to encounter God in Christ in community. So the next time you're at a dinner party, you know, or if you're in a coffee shop, or if you're on the phone with one of your adult kids, or the yoga studio, or wherever it may be, the next time that awkward topic, the topic of church comes up, and the person you're talking to just doesn't get it, and they ask something like, why do you do that, right? Aloud or with their tense body language, maybe they don't say it, maybe they show it. The next time that happens, you've got a couple of things, a couple of reasons that you might share first straight from a service of worship, the service that you attend regularly, straight from Scripture too. I mean, you can even whip out chapter and verse, be like, uh, First Epistle Peter, chapter 2, starting at verse 4. <laughs> Here's a Bible. Are we still friends? Um. And when you do this, imagine yourself coming to church. Imagine arriving one Sunday morning. Imagine the cross at the front reaching out to you from the front of the sanctuary. And imagine looking around at all the different faces you see here today. Children, adults, seniors, people of different races and different places, men and women, gay and straight, some with money, some with less, some joyful, some hurting. When you see this, it's not so hard to imagine each of us as living stones. Each of us is integral parts of God's great building project of salvation right here in our neighborhood. Each rejected in our own way, flawed and broken in our own way, but each gathered by God out of nothing but grace unconditional love, coming together as people, though rejected by mortals, chosen and precious in God's eyes, being fashioned together as a temple for the living God. Imagine this because we come to church because we come to Christ. And we come to Christ and we come to his community, a holy gathering of ordinary people Ordinary people experiencing the extraordinary love, grace, and mercy of an extraordinary God. So, why church, you ask? You might as well begin with, why not church? And give them the reasons above. Amen.